0: This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. It's The Undercard. Bringing you the best in hand combat coverage with feature interviews, major events, and the hottest ring girls from around the nation. The Undercard is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. And now, here they are, always in your corner, Brad, Marv, and Jimmy.
1: Welcome to The Undercard, everybody. It is officially episode
2: 124?
1: (laughs) 213? 213. Shoot. (laughs) I don't know. I had a relapse. We must have been talking about something in the 124s. But this show is going to be amazing if you're a boxing fan. Sometimes I go out there and I give you exactly (laughs) what you want, boxing fan. So this is your Valentine's Day. This is your sweetest day. This is your love fest. This is your Christmas. Uh, We have Michael Woods. Michael Woods is a New York reporter, um, somebody that I know through uh, Dimitri Salida and Salida Promotions. But he also has a great show, um, a podcast that deals with boxing also. So we're going to have him on Talking Boxing. We're also going to have later on in the show, we're going to have Taylor Durr. He is undefeated. He's one win, uh, one draw to his two professional fights. And this guy is fighting again December 16th. And he is on pace and he's from our good friends at SFS. So congratulations to him on a, a great start to a career. Rochelle's been down in Columbus with me, and it's not an easy place to win by any means. And I got to watch the fight on Facebook Live, which was really, really nice. And he looked good. He looked like he could have won, but it's tough to get decisions in other people's states. This is not a, you know, something that people don't know. I am going to reveal my pound-for-pound pound, uh, rankings for December of this month. Uh, but we're going to start off really quickly before we call Michael Woods we're going to talk about the Lomachenko versus Walters fight. Um Walters quit. There's no two ways to say it. He, he quit in between rounds. Uh, he didn't look No mash. No mash. No mash. Whatever. Come on that. Hey, that's that's pretty pretty big in boxing. No mash. So <laughs> uh You know, it it reminded me of when Frank Garza tried to get uh, Andrew Galata to fight again against uh, Mike Tyson. Um, Walters looked like he didn't want to be there. Here's a guy that had a lot of knockout power, undefeated record, looked like it would be a great test for Lomachenko. I heard it was a uh, sold-out 3,000-seat Cosmopolitan Casino uh, Banquet Hall. Any he quits. And if you're uh, Lomachenko, you don't want this. You want the highlight knockout. If you're Walters, I don't know why you would ever want this. But what had happened is Walters was in a contract a dispute with Top Rank. He wanted more money. And he says that the time off from fighting cost him the fight. Uh, Lomachenko looked amazing. You know, I had to put out pound for pound, and so I'm looking where Lomachenko was going to fall in my pound for pound rankings. I had scored every round for Lomachenko. Uh, There's a couple questions. I mean, is he the future? He doesn't speak English. Good-looking guy. I'll have to show a picture to Liz. Um, Rochelle's already seen him and see if she thinks he's a good-looking guy, but I think looks help in sports. Um, There was a reason David Beckham – had a lot of endorsement deals. He wasn't just the best soccer player in the world, but he was also the best looking. But he did speak English. And Lomachenko doesn't speak English. Um, Walters, really quickly on the quitting. Just absolutely disappointment with the the quitting. Um, you know, respect to all boxers who get into a ring because your life is always in danger. But for him to quit... At that stage, I can't imagine the damage it's done to him. Um, You imagine that most people wouldn't pay to see him now. Uh, But let's look at it from the other side. So if you're Lomachenko, you're that good that you just made somebody that is undefeated, who by most regards was a test. You made him quit in between rounds. So is Lomachenko that good or is Walters that soft? And I hate calling fighters soft because you guys aren't. You get in the ring, but, you know, maybe his corner should have stopped. Maybe Walters should have talked to his corner if something was going on. Um, but a bad look, you know, just a bad all-around look for the Jamaican. And uh, Lomachenko now has a lot of options. Who could he fight next? Where? Pacquiao, he says he'd fight, but he won't fight him uh, above 135. Uh, We're going to talk to Michael Woods about that in the upcoming minutes. Um, But that brings me to my my pound for pound. And uh, our pound for pound rankings are as follows. I gave the top slot to Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev. That means there isn't a second slot. My theory on this, and I told everybody last week, my theory on this is basically this. I had Kovalev winning the fight. I think Andre Ward, although he looked competitive, didn't win the fight. But I will honor the judge's decision, but at the same time realize I saw Kovalev win the fight. So my pound-for-pound top of the list is Ward and Kovalev tied. That means we skip down to three when we have Saul Canelo Alvarez. Uh, At four, we have Roman Gonzalez. At five, we have Golovkin. Six, Lomachenko. He wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for this past performance. He would have probably been in the eight, nine realm. Number seven, Manny Pacquiao. Number eight, Terrence Bud Crawford. Uh, Number nine, Danny Garcia. And number ten, Keith Thurman. The best thing about the last two is Garcia and Thurman are going to get a chance to go at it. So we're going to go do one quick song break on the flip side. It's going to be Michael Woods. We're going to be dialing him up and we're going to be talking boxing. Stick with us, everybody. Thanks for listening to the undercard really quick song break. And we will be back with Michael Woods. You're listening to the undercard hand combat radio. The Nashville sound. This is a previously recorded episode Welcome back to The Undercard, Tuesday night after, what's officially the date, I guess? What? What's the date? November 29th. We are calling Michael Woods. Mike Woods. Hey, Mike, it's Brad. You're live on The Undercard. How are you? I'm doing Oops, we might have lost. Well,
0: sir, how are you doing?
1: Oh, very good. There you're back. Uh, yes.
0: We are joining. Uh, excellent. Let me let me let me move let me move outside. Believe it or not, this might be. I hope a first for you. Uh, is someone calling in from a PTA meeting? So I'm going to go outside where I have a better signal. Oh, because wh- then you won't hear like chattering
1: kids. Too. <laughs> I appreciate you making time for us. Now that even makes oh, me feel come better. On. Uh, Michael, right. Michael Woods, he's a publisher and editor yeah, for uh, NewYorkFights.com. He's also wrote for yes. RingTV.com, ESPN. And he has a podcast called Talk TalkBox with uh, Michael Woods, uh, and that's powered by Everlast. That's a big brand. Tell yep, us a sir. little bit about your podcast. Uh, well, you know what? We just, we
0: just taped one today. We had Paul Malignaggi, the fighter slash analyst in studio and we had Steven Espinoza, who runs boxing and sports at uh, Showtime. So it was a kind of a Showtime-centric uh, podcast. We taped probably, geez, probably an hour with Paulie and then we probably did 40 minutes with Espinosa and we'll chop that up into uh, two episodes, probably one drops uh, tomorrow morning and then one the following Wednesday, but who knows, maybe one will drop like Friday too. So. Yeah, it's going well. I've been doing it since uh, June. You know, it's uh, not easy in this day and age. You know, doing journalism, all that kind of stuff with uh, sponsors and stuff. So, I consider myself very fortunate and very appreciative that uh, Everlast backs the Talk Box podcast.
1: Now you're our New York source here, and so yes. from a from a distance, New York comes up with this law, this insurance law yeah. that. That stops New York in its tracks. First off, tell us how it happened and what was what was the problem. Yeah,
0: so you know, uh, uh, MMA has been banned in the states since about '94. Um, UFC started in 1993, and when it started, as you know, your folks probably know, uh, it was more so anything goes—not anything goes, but more so anything goes. Got a bad reputation uh, out of the starting gate. And, uh, you know, once some political steam picked up and it got a worse and worse reputation, well, politicians, when that happens, they, they smell blood. And so it was banned in the state. Um, various uh, people along the lines have tried to bring it back. Now, I followed Dana White around you know, for an ESPN magazine story in 2008. And, man, I remember talking to him now, you know, eight years ago saying, oh, yeah, man, I think we're going to get New York. I think we're going to get New York. I think we're going to be able to get it. Uh, so like forever, they've been trying to bring it back. So every year it comes up among the state legislature. Hey, let's get the ban on MMA lifted last year. It almost happened. Okay. Um, it, it got fairly far through the process through this committee, that committee, it had some sponsors and what have you, but it didn't happen. Fast forward to this year. And by the way, they've been lobbying their hell out of it for many, many moons, spending, I dare say, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, getting in front of the right people, trying to convince them, hey, this is actually going to be a beneficial boon for uh, revenue speaking for the state. So you guys really should allow it here. Believe me, we're going to fill up Madison Square Garden. Anyways, fast forward to this year. It actually happens. Lo and behold, crazy enough, they found uh, some uh, from the sponsors within the legislature. But here's the thing, my man, for them to pass MMA and allow it back in New York state, they had to sweeten it up and make it palatable to politicians. Some of whom are still basically thinking, well, this is a barbaric sport. They show me videos of people mounting each other and smashing each other's faces to bits, blood everywhere. I don't want this here. What they had to do was, Uh, make some legislation to make it palatable to those people who are going to say, no way, not in my district, not in my state. What they did was they basically uh, put in language that beefed up the insurance uh, uh, policies for any combat sports people. Uh, That means fighting uh, in boxing or MMA within New York. What that did was it made it so it's palatable when it passed, for UFC, a behemoth organization to have their events here. And basically they can bring their own insurance from out of state, right? I don't know if their insurer is the same for every event, but AIG happened to be the one uh, that uh, they used to insure the past event that took place at Madison square garden, uh, which was very splashy and well-received within the state. But here's the problem while they gave the go ahead, my friend, having MMA within the state with this beefed up uh, health insurance legislation, uh, a policy which, by the way, cost them, I think, $43,000. Think of that in terms of a boxing guy who's going to run a small club show at BB Kings. Okay, If it's going to cost something like $1,600 per fighting participant in the show, uh, do the math. You know you're not making oodles of money. Hell, you might not be making any money on one of these club shows that's featuring someone who isn't yet a superstar. So it made it uh, basically undoable for some of these guys, people like Lou DeBella, Joe DeGuardia, Dimitri Salida, who run shows within New York State. It made it untenable for them to uh, run a show, a small club show, uh, within New York State. So that's kind of a, a, a long story. I could shorten it or, or lengthen it if you
1: want. <laughs> well, yeah, the the, <laughs> the, the big thing yeah. that, that we heard is that they wanted a million dollar insurance policy on each boxer, yeah. which would, and, but you right. couldn't find insurance companies that would do that.
0: That's right. Here's where it stands right now, my friend. They are going to run a show, a big show, portions of which which are going to run on Showtime, January fourteenth from the Barclays Center there will be an insurance policy for that. How that's going to come together? Well, the people at Barclays Center and the promoter, Floyd Mayweather is a promoter, along with Blue Bella. Devel- they're going to make that happen. But as of right now, there is no accepted policy in which uh, any promoter, whether it be someone running a club show at B.B. Uh, King's in New York City or one of these shows at Barclays Center, there is no accepted policy That the state has come up with and said, this is acceptable to us. Here's what it's going to cost. We believe that this is cost effective for you, the promoter, and this satisfies our requirement too. What we get when we ask where is that policy, which we've been promised, we get this answer. It's within a committee. It's within the finance committee. We're working on it on a daily basis, basically. We're working on it diligently to make it happen. The health and wellness and safety of the fighters is our first and, uh, first and last desire. We're attending to that. It's happening. Well, my friend, months and months and months have passed. The last show, the last show, boxing show within New York, occurred in August. Hello? Was now a, we're in wintertime. Yeah, was, and uh, we're just waiting, waiting, waiting for these politicians to come up with this magic insurance policy. We haven't seen it.
1: That was uh, the last show was the one at Coney Island, right? The outdoor show. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, but what they aren't aren't seeing yeah. politicians, which they never do, is how it's affecting yeah. people. Uh, let's yeah. let's take your friend, Heather Hardy, who's been on our show before. Yeah. She is going to yeah. be fighting for Invicta because she's not guaranteed that, uh, you know, things are going to go well in New York. So she right. has rent. She has a kid. She has a life away from boxing, and she's going to go into the MMA cage. Tell us how much this is affecting the New York economy, because when I think of boxing, I think New York and I think Vegas.
0: That's it, man. Absolutely. Um, This is what we, some of us uh, who are piping up within the press and some of the fighters, we had a press conference for that January 14th show uh, last week at Barclays Center. We're trying to pipe up about and make them understand. This isn't just theoretical. We understand and we accept, and we're happy that they're trying to uh, attend to the wellness of the fighters. But as someone like Hardy will point out, um, are you attending to the health and wellness of the fighters? Putting in this uh, desired one million per combatant policy, uh, when that does two things, it means uh, people will be driven out of state to fight elsewhere, where there no other state, by the way, has a. Uh, a uh, request for insurance to this level. So you, basically all you're doing is covering your ass, right? You're covering your butt. You're making it so there are almost no fights can occur in your state. Well, yeah, that's going to be pretty safe for most of your fighters if you're not ever having any fights. So Heather Hardy, my friend, Heather Hardy, you can say, well, she should just go fight somewhere else. So she can bring her act somewhere else. Think about it in terms of this. People come from her neighborhood in Gerritsen Beach, Brooklyn, right? A very small enclave, very tight. That lady can sell up to like thirty-five thousand dollars worth of tickets at Barclays Center. But guess what? Move it to move to her fighting to New Jersey or Connecticut or Massachusetts or whatever. You think all those people are going to travel there? No. It's like you—you you have a deli right near you. You're going to go to the deli right near you. It's the same with you know traveling to watch fighters uh, do their business. So it, it's really affecting these guys' business. The guy like Sean Cameron—he lives in in Brooklyn. He tells me what I'm worried, you know, if I can fight three times, uh, three times a year now, I'm, I'm going to be overjoyed. It's absolutely affecting their revenue. They're just not getting opportunities. They can't just pull up and, and say, Hey, you promoter our new Jersey. Give me a slot. They're not going to be able to sell the tickets. You know, you, you know, this oh, age yeah. what it's like. You have to sell tickets to even get on shows most of the time, unless you're uh, you know, sort of a future superstar type So." Uh, it's it's, it's, it's uh, ugly, and I think she saw sort of ahead of the curve, like, you know what, I'm going to hedge my bets and so I'm going to start training MMA. She, you know, she was basically into that you know, months ago, seeing all these opportunities for these women. Um, there are going to be more opportunities for women boxing. Amanda Serrano is going to be on a, um, uh, uh, a Showtime card coming up. Uh, There are going to be more opportunities, uh, but the opportunities for people like Heather Hardy, who lives in Brooklyn, Sean Cameron, who lives in Brooklyn, a lot of the guys who fight for Lou DiBella, their opportunities are evaporating. Uh, It's just not so easy as just, you know, snapping your fingers and, oh, let me get a fight in New Jersey. It's just not that easy, man.
1: Uh, OK, uh, one little thought uh, on it, too. Yeah. So I, I see Dimitri is trying to throw a show January 22nd at Webster Hall. Is it depending on what happens on January 14th or or are these people that are lining up after the Barclays Center? Are these guaranteed shows or w- w- what is that? Exact
0: I have not received word that there's been any guarantee even off the record guarantee that an insurance policy has been located and will be palatable to some of these smaller promoters okay so what i'm going to do is i'm going to get basically right on the phone with some people check into this and, uh, and and see about it but as of right now i have not heard i don't know under what auspices sort of he's operating under what he basically knows if he's been talked uh if he's talked to the powers that be in albany or what have you i i know this when i was at barclays center um, last week, I talked to uh, Brett Yormark, who runs the the Barclays Center, and he said, I'll be honest with you, I've been kind of like exerting power sort of behind the scenes and what have you. I'm going to be more active now myself. I'm going to go and lobby myself. So more people are stepping it up. More people are getting more serious about it. So it, it's quite possible that Salida has received assurances from people within the quarters of power. that yeah, this is going to be um, all smoothed out in time for January. And by the way, let me just quickly say, I haven't understood this. I haven't understood why uh, UFC has had this open runway to do their business, to have these shows in New York, um, to have their re-debut essentially. And I thought maybe there was something shady about that. I, I just, I just didn't understand it. It was explained to me by someone who would know and someone who's in a real good position to know how these, uh, sort of, Uh, powers that be have been operating in regards to this uh, legislation the past couple of years, the person said to me, Mike, it isn't anything like that. It's not like UFC is exerting the power and trying to put the chill on boxing. It's nothing like that. Don't get paranoid. What it boils down to is I believe that they put the legislation in and they didn't know the ramifications of it they weren't thinking they just put up they put a number up oh a million dollars for fighters sounds good they didn't understand my friend the ramifications of it so uh, what do you want to chalk that up to, a bit of ignorance or incompetence? It, it, it seems like it's a matter of fact.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk more fun stuff. Thank you for filling us in because yeah. everybody in, in the boxing world is curious what's going on in New York, and uh, we can point them to our podcast. You explained it amazing. Let's start off oh, and okay. uh, um, let's, let's talk uh, Lomachenko. Obviously, this past yeah. weekend, he gets Walters to quit in between rounds. Uh, Bob right. Arum... Says he's the best since Ali. Obviously, Aram has an invested interest in saying something maybe crazy yeah. like that. But he is good. How good is he?
0: Uh, he's good. I, I think right now I'm going to put him in, in one of the uh, uh, one of the A-grade boxer slots. There aren't that many of them. I still have Mayweather there, even though he's retired. Pacquiao is still there. Uh, uh, Crawford is there. Ward and Colville are there. Uh, a few other people. And Lomachenko is. He made uh, a very good fighter in Nicholas Walters look not so good. Uh, that says something. Uh, my man, we had Polly Malignaggi on the Talk Box podcast today. He made a good point. So I, I, I want to share this with people, and the podcast will drop tomorrow. They can listen more, Polly, if they want. Pauly said, Mike, I really don't think that Nicholas Walters, his first fight back after being out for a year, should have been again against a guy of this level. Lomachenko was really good, so that wasn't fair to Walters. Um, the thing with Lomachenko is it's not the jury's out amongst fans who who, who basically across the board believe he's an A grade fighter. Um, he he sometimes I, I'll put it this way: sometimes in some of the rounds and some of his fights, he is almost toying with the other guy, and he's making it look so easy that it's almost boring. There is, in like in some Mayweather fights, uh, there is an absence of drama because he is operating on a different plane than his opponent. So, like, four of those rounds there the other night, they weren't the most scintillating to watch. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, I'm I'm being a little bit long-winded here. I'm saying he is an A-grade fighter. As of right now, he isn't the type of A-grade fighter that is really going to, like, excite the masses and bring the man on masse uh, a la Mike Tyson or something like that. But he's an A-grade pugilist.
1: Uh, let's talk uh, Ward Kovalov. It's still two weeks later and uh, people still don't think the decision got right. I had Kovalov winning. Uh, the knockdown yeah. basically won it for him. Um, three American judges... In hindsight, seems kind of unfair to have a European in front of three American judges, but we know how judges are drawn, so it it's not yep. anything we can do. But um, how did you have the fight? In does yeah. a decision like this hurt boxing as much as people say it does?
0: Yeah, I had it, and I will I will always tell people uh, using my scorecards. Hell, always my scorecards. The never never got because usually what I'm doing, my friend, is I'm watching it and I'm looking down and I'm typing because I really want to be out first with my story. So I was doing some of that during the fight. Uh, I, I, but you, could tell, you can always tell what I'm, what I'm thinking as I'm watching the fight. I'm, I'm tweeting the fight. And after six rounds, I said, you know what? I can see it 4-2. I can see it for Kovalev up 4-2. And then in the second round of the fight, I was getting what a lot of rounds. To me, the momentum uh, was clearly in his favor. You could tell by his body length that he really got a sense of what Kovalev could and couldn't do, and he sort of took over the second half of the fight. So at the end of the fight, I said I could see it a one-point advantage for Kovalev, a one-point advantage for Ward, or frankly, I can see a draw. I saw a really close fight. I didn't see any kind of a robbery. Um, both guys could have been maybe a little bit busier. You know, not that many punches in, in almost every round, Um It was one man favored, so I understood it as a a really close fight that could have gone either way. Um, Some people were thundering right afterwards saying this is a horrific robbery to me. Uh, The the fight on the undercard featuring Maurice Hooker and Darley was actually worse (laughs) uh, of a robbery, so I wouldn't go as far as to say that. Um, But listen, I get as frustrated or more as the next guy because this is the sport that I hang my hat on, and uh, we have this all the time. We have, at best, controversial decisions. And I tweeted right afterwards, I said, hey, listen, uh, another year is going to pass, and boxing as a whole entity is going to uh, let another year pass and not do anything about the judging situation. We're not going to uh, uh, put into play any sort of a, a judging system of the judges, uh, an all-star panel, a rating system of judges, and shame on me and shame on every other person who's involved in this sport at much higher levels than me. Uh, for not doing that because there is a lack of credibility. Is it another black eye for boxing? Hell, there's not even any more room for black eyes for boxing, but regular crappy decisions absolutely hurt the sport.
1: And you know a story I like to bring up because people don't don't even uh, recognize us. You had Kovalov, yeah. Kovalov and Stevenson going back and forth. Adonis Stevenson, and at that time everybody right. wanted to see that fight. He's not even in the equation anymore because of bad decisions, network changes, and the way he handled it. And now look at Kovalov, who could right. have a trilogy out of this for sure, has a rematch clause, so this yeah. rematch will happen. And Adonis Stevenson, yeah. who was no young chicken, is now. Yeah now stuck to fighting probably just in Montreal, getting the big crowds that he yeah. does, but right. will never probably get to prove himself against Kovalov or Kovalov will probably never get a chance to go against Stevenson. It's just crazy. Yeah,
0: and, and my friend, every year that passes, that's more and more of a shame. Listen, it's incumbent upon the man, the fighter himself, Adonis Stevenson. Uh, he is a man who has his own free will. You can say, oh, well, his promoter doesn't want to let him do that. Listen, this is still a free country the last time I checked, no matter, no matter what happened November 8th, uh, no matter who you root for there. And Adonis Stevenson has to say, listen, I want one of these step-up fights, whether it be against Ward or uh, against Kovalev or whoever. I got to do it because he's 36, now no, 37. He's got to be 38. Um, he's no spring chicken, like you said. He got to do it because he's going to look back when he's 40 and say, damn it, uh, I'm now at 40. And if you lose the fight when you're 40, you look back and say, oh, shoot, why didn't I do it three years ago? So uh, it's a little bit head-scratching. I I don't understand it. Fighters, uh, nine times out of ten, no matter what year it is, they're still warriors. They still have a warrior instinct. They still want to test themselves against the best. Uh, We understand they want to get paid well for it, but he's going to look back and he's going to say, man, I I think I shot myself in the foot. Um, (laughs) I did speak to Kathy Duba, uh, you know, a day or two right after the uh, Ward-Kovalev fight. I said, Kathy, when you, when ideally, are you doing that rematch? She said, Yeah, the, there's already language in the contract for what they're going to get paid, and I'd like to do it in April.
1: That's that's perfect, and it's great for boxing to have both of them yeah. go again. Uh, really quickly, talking about age, and I'll let you go back to the PTA meeting. We want to thank, <laughs> uh, we want to thank uh, really quickly uh, Michael Woods, uh, and we'll give you all his bio information when we close with him, really quick. But uh, if we're yeah. if we're talking age, we got to talk Hopkins. Hopkins' yeah. farewell fight was uh is coming up December seventeenth first Joe Smith Jr. Here's here's my angle on the fight. You take a year away from fighting, it affects every fighter. You take two years away from fighting because that's when the last time he fought, which was when he looked bad against Kovalov, that's that's night and day. He's in his fifties though, so two years probably seems like twenty. What, what are we yeah. even going to see here in this Hopkins uh, fight? And Joe Smith Jr., I don't care if if, if yeah. you're playing odds or anything, he has to have a shot. Yeah.
0: He does, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think that you use the term puncher's chance. We use it too often because this is sort of an easy thing to fall back on. Really, truly, I think Joe Smith has that puncher's chance. Listen, Brown Hopkins is canny as all hell. Uh, he, 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 he believes that uh, he... He's going to go out with a win. He believes that he knows exactly what to exploit in Joe Smith. Joe, Joe Smith, he can throw bombs in both hands, but he also has balance issues. He has defensive issues, so thanks Hopkins. So he believes he chosen the right one to go out with a win. You just nailed it in your preamble when you said a, a guy who's 51, going to be 52 in January, is off for two years. Man, it's it's like it's not even rust. It's like XXL rust. It's like, it's like rust on steroids. Uh, so the, the distinct possibility is there that really he has gotten old overnight. Um, you maybe get a hint of, of, of that. I haven't spoken to uh, any of the guys involved, but I just got the word uh, through my source who uh, hits the gyms that Hopkins has a new trainer. It's John David Jackson. Uh, Nazim Richardson is out. Now, why do you think Nazim Richardson is out for his final fight? Uh, You know, was he not liking what he was seeing in camp? I don't know. Probably protecting his fighter. And the speculation doesn't look good.
1: Yeah, protecting his fighter. Maybe see something he doesn't want to see. I've been with you.
0: And he doesn't want to be involved in. Again, I don't know. I called Nazim, you know, left the message. I didn't hear back from him. So we don't know pure speculation. I don't want to label it as anything but that. Let's put it this way. I'm very interested. More interested than probably most people of what's going to happen there because Joe Smith is out here from Long Island. He's one of these uh, sort of lunch pail types, old school throwback Caucasian guy who would have fought uh, you know ten times a year uh, back in the seventies, and he's just kind of a lovable lug type. So looking forward to seeing what happens December
1: seventeenth. All right, anybody that's not familiar with Michael Woods' work, I've uh, been in this business eight years. Follow him. Follow him on New York fights nyfights.com. Uh, follow his uh, talk boxing blog. Uh, he's going to have one tomorrow. Where where can they find talk box? Uh,
0: My man, you go you go to you go to iTunes. You go to Stitcher. You can find it on Android. The hashtag is TalkBox. Easy way to do it is follow me on Twitter at woodsy1069. Ask me, Woodsy, where the hell do I find this thing? And I'll send
1: you a link myself. And uh, I, I'm talking. He talks with A-list guests. Uh, every time he drops a podcast. Mike, it's been a pleasure. I'd love to have you back on again some other time. Thanks for clearing up this New York uh, mess, and uh, greatly appreciate you joining us tonight.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, my friend. You be well. Happy holiday.
1: All right. Happy holidays to you. That is Michael Woods. Uh, like I said, there's only a few people out there that I actually listen to, and he's he's one of them. He knows his stuff. We just had, what, a 20-minute interview with him, and I could have talked to him for another two I feel like I'm hurting his kids' education He's if like I keep talking to He's like New York
2: uh, Scotty Buck,
1: right? And I feel like I'm hurting his kids' education if I keep him away from the PTA meeting. So I don't want him to get back there, do some good there. That and was stuff your like concern. That. that was my concern. I could okay. talk for another two two hours with this guy. We'd no, start comparing I have to go pound home. for pound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, Michael Woods, check him out. We went through my uh, pound for pound list. If we had had more time. I'd have been curious where his pound for pound list is. Uh but we talked about a lot of issues there. There's a ton of boxing here. See what happens when Marv and Jimmy aren't here? You actually get a boxing show. And I'm I'm just saying, you know, you you guys you guys get votes. Just say. Uh you get you get you know you get a boxing show. Michael,
2: Liz. Liz is here for everyone. I know I
3: said that's so true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get you get the meat and the potatoes. You know, here here's the thing. When you when you get a buffet, right? You go for like the the good stuff, the meat, the potatoes, the stuff that That's only good to you. Okay. Well, I go for the salad and we, the dessert. We gave you the hearty stuff today, the the, the good stuff, and we're we're not uh-huh. done. We're 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 moving on to a quick music break. Dude. And we and when we come back what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. If you remember last week, oh they were god. going to Yeah, don't don't spoil anything. I got oh, I, I got a good take on that. that. Oh my god. Uh uh we're going to talk a little bit UFC. Tomorrow there's a huge announcement in MMA. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and uh, I guess we have to mention the U of M Ohio State football game. Bruce Lee's birthday was a couple days ago. We're going to see how much Liz knows about Bruce Lee. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about some other fun stuff. Stick around. Uh, we got Taylor Durr joining us at about the... 8 o'clock to 8.15, Mark. So Taylor Durr is also here. We're listening to The Undercard, Hand Combat Radio.
2: This is a previously recorded episode.
1: Welcome back to The Undercard. We are having a great show. It was an
2: awesome song.
1: So the song has like a, a phone ringing in it. And I didn't know we were coming back from break. I was convinced we were calling our next guest, who will be Taylor uh, Durr, in a little bit. But um, she's like, "No, it's part of the song." So at about the eight ten mark, I know if you're listening on podcast, that means nothing to you.
2: About uh, another Taylor twenty
1: minutes, we'll be here. So you know what? Let's not move to MMA just quite yet. Let's oh, just talk Durr. about a little bit about the weekend. Uh, so last Tuesday, it was a big night. Vegas was going to announce their NHL's team's name, and you had lots of cool possibilities. And you were so excited.
2: He comes home and he's like, driving home, he goes, Don't spoil it for me. Don't tell me what wanna it know. is.
1: Didn't want to know. Didn't want to know. Wanted it to be something cool. Uh, the Maloofs are minority owners, the Maloofs from the Palms Casinos. I like to consider those guys uh, – I, I, I I'm fans of the Maloofs, OK? So they're minority owners and first off, let's talk about the presentation. Uh, the presentation of this thing was horrible. They couldn't even get the video to run correctly. How many times
2: did they try? have a false Three times. Start?
1: Three times they tried. Um,
2: People in the audience were booing.
1: They're right, like, exactly. Any
2: day now.
1: I was convinced this was the worst thing that happened on the on the Vegas Strip since uh, Siegfried and Roy Roy got attacked by the tiger. This this He's thing been was a to disaster. Say that all week. It was but, a disaster. But,
2: but let's talk about the NHL commissioner and the reaction he gets from. Just the people out in the audience waiting for this.
1: Right. So I've seen the Detroit Red Wings win a cup in Detroit. And when he comes out, they boo, right? And it's the whole thing. He doesn't keep it traditional. Why the F are you booing him if you're Las Vegas? He just gave you your first professional franchise. I don't get the Gary Bettman constant boo things, especially from Vegas. Yeah, I'd like someone to
2: explain it to me because I don't get it.
1: Like the the hockey purists say he's ruined the sport sport and stuff like that, but you're booing him and he's giving you a freaking franchise. Like it made me so mad. So here, here's the thing getting even worse, right? So not only did the presentation suck, the logo looks like something Aiden, my son Aiden could draw. Not only that, he's using the name, the golden Knights, which now the army says it might conflict against their parachute troop, who uses that name, who does fifteen thousand shows under that name. Everybody in Vegas was upset with the name. It seemed like everywhere you went, it was like, can we change the name already? This thing was an absolute freaking disaster. And I, I didn't know how Vegas could get this wrong, but they did get it wrong. From down to the presentation, down to the name, down to them trying to sell merchandise right away with a oh, shit yeah, yeah. shit logo. Um, absolutely horrible. And it's a team that, you know,
2: and even when they did announce it, it's not like there was like this huge uproar of excitement. It was just like,
1: oh, so some, some other names that were, were being considered. All right. So the, obviously Chicago has the Blackhawks, um, but they wanted to be called the Nighthawks, which is an actual bird. And besides that area, uh, 51 out there uh the f one seventeens are called Nighthawks. that would have been better. Bob from the i t and the d show said they should have been called the snake eyes get it you roll I do. you roll yes. the dice wrong and you lose all your money snake eyes uh yeah. um, see but that
2: could be um taken as like a negative thing
1: but you could have had a cool like logo of like a scary looking snake, not like this helmet that looked like it's horrid <laughs> it's just it's it's a bad logo um
2: I I understood what they did with it, or how they made the V as part of the, the helmet, the look of it, but it just looks medieval and it made me think of medieval times.
1: Excalibur and they're uh thirty-four ninety five and you get to watch a joust. Yes, that's exactly sure. what I thought of. You get to eat with your hands, be treated like junk, and then get to watch people's joust at Excalibur. And people
2: like to go do that. Yeah,
1: you know. So uh this was an absolute disaster. I just had to get my take on that. And uh, talked about how, um, you know, how bad of a name that was. I mean, that's just freaking ridiculous. Yeah, but
2: even the name. I mean, just the the whole, like you said, the presentation of it.
1: Oh, my God. Did someone get fired that night? It hurt to watch. Like,
2: physically hurt to watch.
1: What was the owner Foley's comment? He said,
2: "Oh, I I, I was interviewed
1: for two and a half hours for this. I better get my video ran. And they never ran the video. And Uh, then
2: uh, I promise the – The
1: countdown didn't work. Right. They're like, let's count it down. Ten, nine, eight, get to that nothing. Uh, So whatever. Um, I don't know. Will it work? Sure. It's got an arena out there, T-Mobile. I'm sure Vegas wants to have something. And I root for the Maloofs, but holy shit of a start, dude. I, I wouldn't wear that hat if you paid me. Maybe if it just said Vegas hockey, I'd wear it. I'm not wearing that logo ever. And I've not seen the jerseys yet. They haven't released the jerseys. And by them not releasing what the jerseys will look like makes me think they're worse than the stuff they did release.
2: See, I'm thinking more along the lines of like a Pittsburgh Penguin sort of coloring.
1: Uh, uh, I'm not a
2: fan of black and yellow. I don't
1: know. And I know he wanted to use his Army background, the Golden Knights and everything like that, but um, because he's a proud Army veteran, but what a terrible job. Uh, we can uh, also have to talk about U of M versus Ohio State, just briefly because everybody knows my positioning on U of M. Um, no excuses, we were beat. Uh, I have to say that game hurt worse than any game I can remember in U of M history. It
2: put you in the worst shit mood for the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, but you know what? It was an accepting shit mood. I wasn't blaming people. Um we we lost it.
2: Yeah, because there was poor interceptions and
1: We lost it. Turnovers. We lost, you know. Um the worst thing poor about timing. losing in college football and I've known this since my college days is you gotta wait three hundred and sixty four freaking days to try to write that shit. Um but another radio station uh, was talking earlier about Jim Harbaugh and how he acts immature, how he how he was questioning the refs. Mind you. He's being fined. Right. $10,000. Mind, mind you, that's how I want my coach to act. My whole life I wanted somebody to be like that. I hate the people that are PC and they're like – well, we lost to a better team, this and that. I want him to say the stuff. I like a little decorum. Right. I want him to say the stuff that I feel deep down, although I didn't feel the refs cost us the game. I I thought there was a million different reasons why U of M lost the game. Um, But, you know, it's unfortunate because we had such a good team, uh, U of M, this year. Uh, But whatever. We move on in Ohio State doesn't even get to play in the championship game because they lost to Penn State so they're sitting around waiting this week to get into the playoffs. Uh meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh has to rebuild a little bit with a lot of seniors on that team, so that's that's unfortunate. So I don't know. Something I found on the internet the other day, uh there's a whiskey advent calendar in which instead of getting chocolate, you get a shot of whiskey every You're day. You're not allowed to have it. I may want it.
2: You're not allowed.
1: Um but everyone drink whiskey. But everyone cheats on the advent calendars. Like you you, you forget a couple days and then you gotta catch up. Nope. Like you know, all of a sudden it's December seventh and you realize you did the first, but then you've not done up to December seventh, so then you gotta catch up. I think that would be a fun one to catch up on, you know, like, you know, six nope. shots of whiskey. Uh but there's a whiskey advent calendar, and I thought immediately about Marv about it. I was like, who do I know that Says he likes whiskey. I've not seen Marv ever drink whiskey, but he says he likes whiskey. Uh, then I saw it was six hundred dollars, and I was just like, "No." So I'll Marv, stick with the chocolates. Yeah, Marv might get like like something made for him, advent calendar wise. But I am not going to pay six hundred dollars of whiskey advent calendar for Marv. Um, and I can say that because he's not here. But I'm not gonna not gonna do that at all. So. Um, Bruce Lee's birthday was this past weekend, I believe.
2: Liz, tell us everything you know about Bruce Lee.
3: He was an actor. Yep. All right. He did martial arts. Yep. What All kind? Right. Mixed martial arts? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I, I would say he was um, the father of mixed martial he, arts. Yeah, yeah. So He that's was good.
3: a, fa- a f- um, founder of something.
1: Jeet Kune Do.
3: Okay. And... He died in the early 80s or 70s, somewhere in there.
1: That I don't even know. I uh, so was it to the 80s. No. No. It All was right. he, It I'll was either there, Jimmy.
3: It might have been like the early 70s or late 70s, maybe early 80s. Did he have any children? I don't know.
1: Brandon Lee from The Crow. Any of them? Um he died mysteriously too. Yes, people that die mysteriously live on for like ever. Was it was it a drug overdose? Was it he wasn't feeling well? Blah blah blah.
2: Well, and then his son was um, accident- killed by a accident- shell
1: of a blink, right? Which
2: during the filming of the crow,
1: you know, a blank oh, wow. blank gun goes off, and and you know what they CGI'd his his face on. That was pretty big technology because I was still in high school seventy three. 73. See, I knew it was 70s was so like 80s. But you knew like you knew a, like knew a that. lot more than I thought. Yeah, good job. That's awesome. Yeah, good job. He's cool though, Bruce Lee. Did you oh, know yeah. he could do like push-ups with his little fingertips? He was really, really in good shape and stuff. Um, speaking of which, you got to give her a picture of Lomachenko. Just look him up really quick. Oh, and You uh, got
2: to spell that?
1: Oh, my God. L-O-M-A.
2: Coming from the guy who can't pronounce anything,
1: I can pronounce Lomachinko.
2: L O M A C H E N K O.
1: Yep. Give her a picture. Uh, where, where do you rate rate this guy? Hot? Not hot. I'm very Did curious. Hold on. Really hold early. on a second. Mm-hmm. Because that that means something in marketability.
2: But it depends on which picture we're going with
1: here. We'll find a good one.
2: Well, you compared him to Dave Beckham, and I no, I would no, not no, no, compare no, 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 him no. to David no. Beckham. I, I
1: just said that David Beckham that obviously helped his career, although he was a great football player, but that obviously did help his career. Um, little. Bit, I mean, right? he's not bad. A little bit. Little bit, little bit. Yeah. He's not bad. No. Miss undercard that likes must
3: have, that must have been a good picture then but that was the
2: better <laughs> of the Miss ones.
1: undercard must like how them, about
2: uh, how about that one well hold on because I found an even better one with the with the sw- swoop over that's horrible
3: um no really I mean, I'd give him maybe a six or five. Ooh,
2: six out of ten. I wouldn't even give him that.
3: Yeah, I would give him. I'd probably give him a six. He looks foreign. I don't like and his not body, a... but his
2: face. I like his face.
1: Wow, six out of ten. I'm not yeah, letting you rape like... people no more.
2: Now, see, that was an old photo. Now, the one next to him, right yeah, but there. Yeah, the
3: picture that you just showed me didn't look like that picture that you. Just well,
2: showed. that's the that's him now,
1: and he's on top of the boxing world right now. Mm, no. Mm. No. What about the chest tattoo? I don't which one? Well, the
3: no, chest one, the stomach. giant okay.
1: one. Conor McGregor has no. one, too. I'm just curious if that like that that's a thing for women. Conor McGregor has a big chest tattoo. I don't think it has to do La with Chico like tattoos, to.
2: being on the chest. I think it it has to do with what it is. Yeah. Because okay. I, I like tattoos.
1: Do you like them on the chest?
2: Yes. I like, like them everywhere. Like Harry Styles has horrible tattoos.
1: Okay. So uh, we're going to be talking to Taylor Durr here in a um, few minutes here. But I did find a really cool article in the Detroit Free Press that I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, so there's an institute in Clinton Township that has 145 bodies that are
2: – read about this in Metro Times like – a couple of years ago,
1: right. Um, these bodies are just waiting for either cures to stuff or possible ways of um, like being brought back to life. So here's the process. It's called the cryopreservation process. Once declared dead, a body is quickly moved into an ice bath. Chemicals are injected to reduce clotting, and anti acids are administered to prevent dissolving of the stomach lining. Two, the blood is pumped out of the body and a temporary organ-preserving solution is pumped in. Three, later inside the cryogenic institute, the temporary solution is removed and a human antifreeze is injected to protect cells for the deep freezing. body is then placed into a computer-controlled cooling unit. Four, the body is placed in a sleeping bag-like material and strapped to a wooden backboard. Five, the body is lowered into a cryostat cylinder of liquid nitrogen, and chills at negative 320 degrees, awaiting future reanimation. I gotta ask, Liz, would you ever do it?
3: If I had a lot of money, maybe. Really? I mean, because your body's not going to do anything anyways after it's gone, so I mean, like, if you could preserve it and maybe in the future somehow... I mean, I don't know how they'd make you come back to
1: life, but... Well, yeah, the, obviously the technologies... These are people that are banking on the technology, but... How much um, is it
2: to do that? It's like a monthly fee, isn't it?
1: Uh, I'm sure it's... it's I'm almost it's positive lot.
2: it's like a monthly fee of, like, you know... X
1: um.
2: Amount,
1: but... Lots of dollars. Here, Here's something I said. I think I would do it. Uh, a 14-year-old British girl who died last month um, is now stored in one of the facilities. Um... She had uh, British tabloid reporters inquire and in curious that since the news broke last week in the UK, judge has granted the teen's dying wish was to be transported in frozen there once she succumbed, succumbed to a rare form of cancer. So obviously, maybe if we found a cure for cancer, this girl who didn't get to live too long um, at 14 years of age, um, it's it's there. A uh, couple concerns. One, it's kind of like playing God. I don't know how I feel on that. I'll be honest. I don't have an opinion on this. Two, it is something straight out of science fiction movies. Like, uh, you know, this is like something out of Buck Rogers when I when I grew up watching this kind of reanimation thing. Um, To give you a real answer, I don't know if I'd do it or not. I don't know. I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's but almost
3: I, like taking chances, though. Would you rather just be like – your body just not have a chance at having another life, pretty much, because it said in the article that you could possibly have another life.
2: But see, I would—you have the argument of religious beliefs mm-hmm. along with that, and figure when your time is up, there's a reason for it to be up.
1: Then here's the thing: I think that the people I care most about—if I was to lose them—I would do it. But me, no. So it, it, it's more if I lost somebody that was really, really important and I would do it. But I don't necessarily think I would do it for my body. Does that make sense? So the selfish mm-hmm. reason that I can't have them not in my life. But
2: anymore. at the same time, I'm like I'm reading it right now and it basically you have to have this in place before. Oh, yeah, die. because
1: you got to do it instantly.
2: Right. It's basically it's. They provide you with an ambulance ride to the high tech hospital themselves. So, like they're on on standby, like, like waiting for this to happen. Where are these at? Like where are these it's these is in, this is in Michigan? Uh, this is in Clinton where? Township. It is um, actually it's called the cry, cry, Cryonics Cryonics Institute, and it is in uh, Clinton Township.
1: Now here's something, right? And let's take God out of this, <clears throat> okay? Um, what if in a horror movie situation, the people that don't believe in God, when they die, they say it's just your brain firing rapid thoughts. What oh, I- if because they're keeping your body preserved like that, you live in an unbelievable nightmare for like 350 years until they like come thaw you? Or what? Here's another situation. What if this company goes out of business? And then just you know, one day you, yeah, just like, you know, like when your refrigerator goes and all of a sudden like all the food gets rotten. Like what if 145 bucks? That's really gross. I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm just thinking weird. there's a lot <laughs> of things I got to mm-hmm. think about. Like, okay. So, um, the
2: minimum whole body suspension fee is 28 grand. Okay. I mean, um, that's not that bad for members at a distance, transportation costs, local help would be additional. Um, our 28,000 fee is a one time only payment with no subsequent charges. Is easily funded by life insurance or other investments, subject to CIA verification. Um, one competitor's cost is two hundred grand for similar procedures and uh, Why is this services. cost so much more? Our does our lower cost mean lower quality patient care or services? Absolutely not. Um. So how do you know that they're not
3: like using you as like a test rat, pretty much?
2: Ooh, good point. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you can just go there. Well, they—I mean—it goes into their financial stability, their safety, their security—all on the website. Mm-hmm. Standby philosophy, uh, ethical and principled comparison chart with other, um, other uh, organizations that do the same process.
1: I'm not gonna lie; it looks like that their freezing thing has like a window where you see the body. That's kind of freaky. Like I mean, maybe the illustrations just to show uh, you that know. they're hanging upside down.
2: See, my my whole theory in my head, like I, I can't be around dead bodies. Like the idea of working like in a morgue, like freaks the heck out of me. I can't even imagine. I know someone that does that. Yeah, I do too. My, These guys are my, probably
1: so used to it. One of probably... my close
2: friends is a is a mortician, and chose that p- from being a nurse to helping people live. To dealing with them after the fact, Uh, no, uh, uh.
1: Mind you, the uh, white tanks hold up to six frozen people, so you're going to have five people in your frozen tank if that matters.
3: So if you come back, are you like? Would you not like your brain wouldn't even work the same? So how would you have the same memory?
1: They're hoping they don't know. They're hoping that technology will someday be able to uh, help help these people. So who knows? I mean we've we've seen some crazy technology. It's just is it okay?
2: So who's supporting it? Well, it says People according to this like sometimes your life insurance will even cover it. I'm sure it has mm-hmm. to do with like what your your ailment is, um if you have one um maybe the the time that you're able to um spend on this earth and this life. I don't know. Hmm. I'm sure there's a I'm sure by reading more up on the, the website they could give you a little bit more uh in depth view of it.
1: And you can for ninety eight dollars get a DNA sample from somebody that's in there. So I don't
2: know. Uh parental verification, all kinds uh, of things.
1: if you want your dog up to fifteen pounds, that's five thousand eight hundred. You can do your dog too. One hundred and fifty dollars per extra pound. One thousand dollars for a bird, but possibly higher for a very large bird.
2: Seriously, if you're that attached to your effing bird,
1: five thousand eight hundred dollars for a cat. I'm not lying. That's it.
2: No, I don't. I'm not saying you're lying. I just think I that's, would never do that. An is animal. ridiculous. I get that they're like family and stuff. No, I don't need to read no. it. I'm good.
1: Yeah, there's the bird's prices and stuff yeah, there I know, in the grave.
2: Isn't this what Michael Jackson was supposedly had did to himself? No, you
1: remember Ted Williams' family did it to him. And then someone took a picture of Ted Williams' face. When it was frozen, oh, I don't you could probably that. Google that. Ted Williams, the great Boston Red Sox player, and his the the, the picture Wait. of his face will be doing it. Actually, you know what? Morally, we shouldn't be googling it. googling it off off of time. Yeah, oh, thinking I'm about on, it.
2: I'm I'm on the cryo. But shame on Ted whatever. Williams'
1: family for for doing that, anyways. But
2: well, that's, I mean, some people just have the wrong intentions behind any. Guess
1: of this. what time it is? Though it is eight ten. We're gonna call Taylor Durr from oh. Scorpion Fighting Systems. I'm making her work tonight. Keeping the producer going. Ring Girl Liz is keeping the conversation flowing also.
2: <laughs> Remember, we're calling his girlfriend's phone.
1: Trying to keep warm. Hello? Hey, is Taylor there? This is Taylor. Hey, Taylor, you're live on the air with the undercard. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> hey, what's up, man? Who, who am I speaking with? This is Brad from the undercard. How are you Brad, what's up, man? Oh, How's no, it going? Not too much. You're joined by uh, Liz, and uh, Rochelle's joining me, too. So let's uh, get some background information out, out there to our fans. Uh, this is Taylor Durr. He's fighting out a scorpion Fighting. Durr. Durr. Sorry, I'm saying the name <laughs> wrong. He always says the
2: name's wrong. It's okay. Hey, it's, a,
1: it's, a con- it's a common mistake. Durr. But
2: what is, what is your, your full name that you go by? It's Taylor. Uh,
4: Taylor, the, the machine gun Durr.
2: There you go.
1: Durr. Yeah. I can get Durr. it now. No. Did I do it right? No, no. Doer, doer, doer. Doer. He's a
2: doer, not a don'ter.
1: (laughs) All right, I I got it. All right. (laughs) Well, let's let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, uh, How did you get involved in boxing? Um, You talked about Hmm. it in the ring. That this was a dream of yours to get in the ring and 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 be a professional. This is the Detroit fight that was a couple weeks ago. Tell us, yes, yeah, yeah. Tell us about this dream. How did it come about?
2: Yeah, because hasn't it been like yeah. so many years before you were actually able to get in there?
4: Yeah. Well, what happened? Um, I, I started when I was ten. Um, I actually I was boxing in a gym. I'm from Royal Oak originally. I was boxing in a gym. Um, in West Bloomfield, it was the only place that I could find. Um, and my mom looked up a place. I said I wanted to start boxing. I was just getting into a lot of trouble in school, and the youngest of three boys. So, you know, I'd get picked on a lot at home. And I'd go, and, you know, I always had a chip on my shoulder. If people would pick on me at school, I'd get into fights. So my mom thought it would be a good idea to get me into boxing. And uh, basically, what happened was she looked in the yellow pages because that was before. We had uh, the internet, really. Um, so she looked in the yellow pages and found uh, it was called Al Irish's Intensity, and Al Loniker is his real name. But he was a thirteen and zero pro as a cruiserweight, ironically enough. And I went down there and I uh, I trained uh, and I fell in love with it and I um, I did that for five years and uh, my amateur record was thirty two and one. I was a two thousand twelve um, diamond and silver glove winner in my weight class. It's actually funny. My first fight, I weighed 75 pounds. <laughs> I was actually just a scrawny little kid, but uh, I loved boxing. and um, I got into it, and you know, I, it was it was uh, my dream to become a pro. I was actually trained by um, the late Bill Miller. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Bill Miller, but oh, he trained yeah. Tommy Aaron. Tommy Aaron is an amateur. He trained Emmanuel Stewart as an amateur. Um, he was he's pretty much boxing royalty he trained James Tony for a long time, but he trained me. Uh, he trained Bronco McCart as well. He trained me and another guy from my gym because my, my trainer was getting a little too busy with, uh, you know, his other, um, endeavors, uh, what have you. Um, so he would, he would bring Bill in and Bill would work with us. And, uh, you know, when I was young, I was just obsessed with boxing. I could actually name every heavyweight champion in order from the time they wore gloves. So Bill was really intrigued by that and my love for the sport. And he, uh, he actually took a lot of time out and spent a lot of time with me and, you know, I really showed us, but, um, you know, when I was 15, I got, I got, uh, they wanted me to start training six days a week. You know, they wanted me to start doing a lot of stuff. They wanted me to start going out to Colorado Springs at the, uh, Olympic, the Olympic facility out there. And I just, You know, I just, I just got to high school, you know, I was more interested in, you know, doing, uh, doing stupid stuff, chasing girls. And I just didn't, I kind of lost time for the sport, um, so to speak. And, uh, so basically that I started getting into a lot of trouble when I was 15. Um, I, uh, you know, I got, you know, um, sent to a couple of placement facilities when I was a teenager and then, um, you know, I kind of got my shit back together when I was like 19 or so. And I, I had a daughter. I have a daughter now. She's six. And, um, you know, I got my stuff back together and, you know, I thought I was living in Ann Arbor at the time and I was just working full time. So I never really got back into it. But if you fast forward to when I met James, um, I actually have a buddy named Russ Dobbs and the to SFS and he asked if I could help him with a striking cause he you knew I was a good boxer and, uh, I, they brought me in and, you know, I, I met James, and you know, I just kind of fell in love with it all over again. You know, and this is this is uh, just just almost two years ago, and um, basically what happened is I took a fight uh, with Grant. His name's Grant Cashman. I don't know if you guys know of him. Uh, it was his debut. I took the fight on like two days' notice, um, and I had I, never trained grappling in my life. It was an MMA fight. Uh, but you know, they thought my boxing was good enough to get me by and I, uh, I ended up hurting Grant really bad, but if you guys know anything about him, he's got a, uh, an iron chin, so he, uh, he wouldn't go down and, um, I gasped out cause I was, like I said, I was pretty much off the couch and, uh, you know, he got me into a mounted crucifix and just basically pummeled me, um, for like a good five minutes and, uh, <laughs> The ref had to stop it because I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how to shrimp and I didn't know how to bridge or anything like that in terms of grappling. But, um, you know, after that, like, just this fire was lit inside me. And, uh, you know, I I just started getting back into it. And, um, you know, I, I really, like this summer, some stuff happened uh, in the Detroit area. And, uh, you know, just, I was just unhappy with my life and, and working all the time. So I decided that I was going to quit my job and move in with James Gray and Christian Woodmansee out in Fowlerville and uh, train full-time. So that's what I've, I've been doing since August. And, you know, I had my first fight, what, two weeks ago now, and, uh, you know, everything's been going pretty well.
1: And you already, you already had your second fight, too, which I I, yeah. I, I give you props because we, we've gone down to Columbus a lot to cover fights. Um, it's not easy to win over the Ohio judges, and you got to draw against yeah. a really tough fighter. Yeah. Uh, mutual respect. Yeah, that... if
4: I could, if I could say anything, man, is I, I felt my performance was was pretty shitty. You know, I shouldn't have taken a fight so soon. I had to cut down to eighty four, so I lost eighteen pounds the day before, and uh, my cardio. Just, I had a really bad adrenaline dump in that fight, and uh, I had to get through it, man. But I'm glad it was an exciting fight, you know.
1: And your, your record's still, though, unblemished in the loss column. You, you you learned something, and you got a fight coming up December 16th for Carlos uh, yep. Lelinas again. Um, yep. I think you're an exciting fighter. I've seen a lot of fighters. Uh, I, I covered it for Fight News that night. And you're with James Gray, and there's something about SFS. It's just, it's like, it's magical. But you guys... Tell him,
2: tell him your, your phrase.
1: Oh, I, I say there's three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and SFS wins. But uh, <laughs> the, the the thing is that um the, the, you guys all have heart. You guys all come uh come ready to battle. Whether it's boxing, whether it's MMA, I'm excited for you to be fighting against December 16th. And also, yeah, man. You,
2: and I got your oh. autograph.
4: <laughs> oh, you did? That was you?
1: Okay. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm super excited for this fight. Do uh, you think this pace is what you're going to keep up? Because how old are you? Because of you started a little late. How old are you? Yeah, right
4: I'm now? 26. I'm 26 now. So um, our well, goal is to young. be on Showbox by 28 and get a world title by 29. So
2: he's got goals.
4: Um, yeah, I just I, I mean I'm I'm going to try to be 10 and 0 by this time next year. Well, so. Um, lot of work but you know i think it can be done
1: uh we're being joined by taylor doer right now um i now is mma going to be on the back burner because it looks like you got a a pretty bright future in boxing or are you going to keep trying to be like john Chalback going back and forth (laughs) uh what what, what Um, are you going to do
4: you know i you know i'd rather just box uh i might i might do a few jiu-jitsu competitions here and there you know but really um I, you know, honestly, man, I feel like I can help save the sport. You know, I don't, I'm not a point fighter. You know, a lot of people would like me to be a point fighter. I could very easily win with just the jab and, and kind of a boring fight, but, you know, I'd rather mix it up, but I, I like to fight. I like to uh put my will against my opponent's will and see who wins, you know? So, um, you know, I feel like boxing lost that and MMA has that. So I'm, I'm going to try to bring that back, you know, cause, uh, the one thing nobody will ever be able to say about me is that I'm a boring fighter, you know, and, and I, I take pride in that regardless, you know? So,
2: um,
4: yeah, man, that's just, I, I just like to get in there and, uh, and show my spirit. Cause that's what I think fighting is all about. You know, it's your spirit, you know? Um, and I see, I feel like people can identify that with the, in any race, culture, whatever, you know, our, our mod, our, uh, our motto at uh, SFS is we're all one, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, you know, that's what we have there. There's no ego. There's no, you no know, people don't chest up to each other there. It's that we're all one. And, you know, we show our spirits on a on a nightly basis in that gym, you know. Um, like, like last night, they're like, sorry, there was like at least 50 people in there last night, you know, 20 of which are top level guys, you know, all just grinding and putting the, the best work that we can. And, you know, so.
1: Well, I do have to ask you this. I know you guys are all one, but I'm going to have you uh, rank. Where is your power in regards to uh, Josh Parisian and uh, how about John Chalbeck, who for Chalbeck's size, a lot of power.
4: Where's your power? uh, Unfortunately for Chalbeck, I'm I'm the only other boxer, you know, so me and him have to work a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, Chalbeck definitely is the hardest 155 er I've ever been hit by. Um, But... (laughs) I would have to say that I'm the hardest puncher in the gym. Um, all right. You know, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's arguable with me and Friesian cause he's my main sparring partner. Um, that guy is hilarious. All, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hits, he hits really, really hard, man. His leg kicks it or, uh, my first day at SFS, he actually kicked me in the leg. He, he, he claims that he was nervous cause I was so big or whatever, but, but, uh, You know, I think that was just a cop out. You know, he just wanted to crack on my legs. And I got these, I got, I got chicken legs, you know, and he's, he weighs 300 pounds when he's walking around and he can kick, man. So he kicked me in the leg and then he kicked me in the face once. It was kind of a tap, but that was my introduction to Aston and MMA was when Parisian did that. But, uh, but in terms of power, man, I, I have to say that I have the, I have the hardest punches. Yeah, that's the best.
1: Now it seemed to me, and I watched it through Facebook Live, a feed. But it seems to me like the Columbus crowd had mad respect for you. They could tell you were throwing yeah. a lot of power, and your opponent was able to take it. I'm sure you're going to be invited yeah. back down there to fight too. Is that is that what you want to do? As many opportunities, just keep fighting.
4: Well, um, with the Columbus, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start trying to pick our fights a little smarter. Um, I mean, we we severely underestimated Isaac Steele. We thought he was just an MMA guy. If you, if you look him up, um, that kid is actually chin, really man. a chin. Yeah, he's he, yeah he's very very tough. He's he's five and one as a pro MMA fighter. Um, so you know, if you watch his fights, he, he's just a grappler. That's what we thought. But um, you know, later we found out that he'd been training with you know some some of the top uh, boxing gyms down there, and they have really good boxing in Ohio. So um you know when he got in the ring he started moving around and i was like oh shit this kid knows how to box you know and uh you uh, know it was just a, he he just hit, you know he had a lot of volume and he uh he was in he was in tremendous shape you know so um you know i i still can't believe that he didn't fall from those punches cuz you know most people can't take those shots a lot of them crumble but you know i my performance you know i wasn't putting punches together how i should have um You know, there's a lot of different factors, but I'm just glad that, you know, I didn't take a loss in Columbus. And, yeah, I did – the crowd was uh, ecstatic, you know, the whole night. You know, James Buster Douglas was there. You know, he came up to me after, and he was really impressed with my performance, you know. So that was really cool that, you know, a a boxing legend said that to me. Um, You know, at least 50 people came up to me, you know, saying, wow, man, that was, you know, the fight of the night. You know, everyone agreed that that was the fight of the night. Exactly
1: when – yeah, exactly – and you're a guy from Michigan, and out of all weeks to be fighting down there with the Michigan Ohio right. State thing going down in in Columbus, you know, you yeah. know, Michigan people aren't. Yeah, too I, I almost
4: came out to the fight song, the U of M fight song, but I wanted to, uh, you know, not piss off any judges and, and try to at least <laughs> keep some, you know, try not to disadvantage myself one hundred percent, you know. So.
1: Oh, exactly. Is there worth it? There were some rough, uh,
4: rough scoring that night. You know, um like there was, the main event was clearly a shutout, and and one of the judges had it a draw. So you know, um, but that, you know, with that type of fight, I mean, Isaac was he was wobbled the entire second round. He was wobbled pretty much the entire fourth. So um, you know, it's kind of hard to to score against that. Well, uh, you and. and, and Go ahead.
1: Sorry. Oh no, no. I was just gonna say you. You said you were such a, a boxing fan growing up. Is the love still there? And if it is, who's your favorite boxer that's currently out there that you could watch on Saturdays on Showtime or HBO? Who do you Who do Dang, you like?
4: I'd have, I'd have to say Kovalev. You know, um, that's
1: who you remind Kovalev's me
4: of. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people tell me that. You know, um, you know, uh, Kovalev and Lomachenko. You know. Um, Speaking of Lomachenko, we have a striker. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's kind of under the radar. Uh, he's he's definitely, in my opinion, if you ask anybody, ask uh, uh Mitchell Tucker. He's my other roommate. So I live with James Gray, Mitchell Tucker, and Christian Woodmansey. And uh, Mitchell is the best striker at our gym. Period. Um, and me and him, me and him study Lomachenko a lot. So I have to say, uh, Lomachenko and Kovalev.
1: Uh, those those are two great ones. Uh, really quickly, you're living with James Gray. He is such an amazing individual, uplifting to everybody. I just picture you guys at the cereal table every morning and him giving you like a five minute pep talk before the day starts. Because that's how that's how uplifting that guy is. And just to hear how he talks about his team, we talks hold, about we sports, hold him up
2: on a pedestal here. Yeah, I just picture you guys
1: eating your Rice Krispies and him giving like a five minute little speech about like, let's go get it today. That's that's what well, I think with James.
4: Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing about James is, um, you know, he's, he's such a busy guy that, uh, you know, he's usually on his phone. But when we are talking, um, it's always some sort of advice, you know. So I like to kind of screw with him a little bit and, and try to ask him how his day is going, you know, because <laughs> um, you know, he's always talking to other people, telling other people what to do. So it's kind of funny when you try to get, uh, you know, like emotionally invested in him. Um, say, you know what's going on, man, How's your day going? You know, it's it's just funny to see our reaction. It's like i'm good, 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 very, very straight to the point. you know he's always getting shit done. um you know so you know he he's definitely uh, it was it was a blessing that guy has helped me out uh, more than I can even explain to you uh, all right over the phone right now. so
1: you also have a, a new fan page on Facebook. where can people go find uh, Taylor Dewar's uh, fan page?
4: Yeah, it's uh, on Facebook. It's uh, Taylor Machine Gun Doer. Um, You know, I just made it a couple days ago, and uh, you know what what I do every day for this next flight, uh, which is December sixteenth at the Eastern Market uh, in Shed Number Three, which is a really cool venue. um, I'll post videos of what I'm doing every day. I'll I'll do two a day uh, workout.
1: Oops, still there, Taylor. So like
4: uh, this morning, um, I posted a video of me hitting the bag. Yeah, can you hear me?
1: Yep, yep, Hello? now we can hear you again. Okay. All right. Yeah, so I I'll, I'll post uh I'll
4: just keep people updated on what my training is. You know, not not any game plans or specifics like that, but you know, just uh you know, like yesterday we had a we had a video of me me jumping rope, you know, shadow boxing, you know, um just, you know, so check it out, you know, I'm always I'm always on there trying to entertain as much as I can, you know.
1: Well, we will definitely keep you uh, in mind for future interviews, and we'll be following your career. It's always fun to see somebody with talent uh, get get started. Uh, so everybody come check them out. It's December 16th, Shed 3, Eastern Market. Uh, Mo Adams is also fighting on that card. It's a Carlos fight. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for joining us and uh, telling us yeah, a little bit about I
4: yourself. promise a, a uh a knockout inside five minutes.
1: All right. Hey, we're going to hold you yep. to it. All right, very cool. Thank you so much, Taylor. All Take right. care.
4: Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good night. You All too. right. Bye-bye. That is
1: Taylor Doer. Cool. Uh definitely somebody that caught my eye the other night when I was writing for Fight News. Uh good debut. He has the body of a boxer. I know that. He, yeah, he he's just like looks just... like a boxer. <laughs> looks like a boxer. So, his muscles gonna pop. A, yeah, he's going to have a, a good thing. We're going to go to our last break. When we come back, uh, what do I got lined up for you? Oh, we got to go through some MMA news. So when we come back, we will talk MMA.
2: This is a previously recorded episode.
1: Welcome back to the Undercard. We're having a great show. We covered a lot of boxing earlier. Uh, We already had. That's unheard of. Taylor Dewar uh, was just joining us from SFS, the machine gun. And then we had Michael Woods on earlier. Um, so there is some MMA news really quickly to get into. Um, so let's start off with this subject here really quick um, because I, I think maybe uh, Liz would want to chime in to the, to the next subject. Um, or I, I'd at least like her opinion. How about that? But there's supposed to be some big news introduced
2: uh,
1: tomorrow, and uh, George St. Pierre and others are going to make a mystery announcement. Now, here's the thing about mystery announcements. Uh, here's the thing about mystery announcements. If if you don't have an idea of what – you can have a seat, Liz. We're going to talk uh, about some stuff that I wanted to ask you about too. Um, if you don't know what the mystery announcement is about, typically in the beginning it's not going to be too good. But the thing is that MMA journalist um, – received a surprise press release yesterday touting an industry-defining announcement and conference call to take place Wednesday. Named in the release were current and former UFC fighters Kane Velasquez, uh, George St. Pierre, uh, the Cowboy, T.J. Dillashaw, uh, Tim Kennedy, as well as uh, Bellator CEO Bjorn uh, Rebny. He's a former, um, but they have him listed as current. Uh, the thing is that they, they believe that they are going to either start their own league uh, or they are going to start what would be like a union. There have been rumors and grumblings and hints about an MMA or UFC fighter union for years. UFC fighters get a much smaller share of revenue. Of that revenue, they generate then their counterparts in other sports and are subject to all sorts of – Conditions dictated by their contracts with WMEIMG. Here is how an expert in sports contracts described the contract of UFC fighter Eddie Alvarez. When you look at who's getting the money at the end of the day, it's Zufa. Disportionately Zufa. And disproportionately not the fighter. Northwestern University labor law professor. Um, he says he called the UFC contract the worst he's seen in sports and in the entertainment field. Uh, but anyways, there's going to be an announcement. We can only speculate that it's probably going to be a union or maybe it might be a fight league. Um, Bjorn is a guy that I've had a lot of one-on-one interviews with. Um, I covered a lot of Bellator events. I'm excited he's around. I was wondering what he was doing since he got let go from a company that he started. Um, But I'm excited that Bjorn's going to be back. Now, um, also in MMA news, and I wanted Liz's take on this because – Liz, I would say you're a casual MMA fan, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not huge into it. But these new UFC owners are looking at ways to make more revenue. Right off the bat, they're looking for ways. And the number one way that they know how to is to sell their broadcasting rights to networks. But here's what the networks want to do. The networks want to uh, then do their own productions and the first thing they're looking to do is remove what they call the hype masters the hype masters being uh the two announcers um so that would be typically before i even get into names when you watch ufc liz do you like the announcers
3: yes. do you
1: like how they yell and they're like oh
3: my god yeah they get the
1: crowd right hype. yeah jim rogan oh my god did you just see that um so would you would you like that consistency to keep going yes that's what i'm saying okay so really quickly they are looking to go to like an nfl format in which different networks would have their different announcers and i think personally from a business standpoint is that um and what i called joe rogan earlier uh, but jo- joe rogan to me and mike goldberg are part of the production value. When I turn on UFC, uh, a pay-per-view event, I know that they're going to be there. Just like when people um, use our ring girls for events, they're hoping to get the same quality and consistency. I think by taking away Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan, what you have here is going to be a lesser product. And I'm not sure if the owners realize how important these announcers are. I mean, even in the video game Rochelle, it's the announcers, right? They're they're part of the event. Like so it's not the announcers, cool.
3: they're just gonna have the fighters walk out.
1: No, they would have different announcers. But they've become such a part of the brand that, you know, the way their excitement is for the sport, I think it would hurt the sport. But they're looking to get four point five million dollars um I'm sorry, maybe billion it was, uh, for their next big deal in uh, a network. And these they want to turn over the production value, which theirs is very regiment. Here we go. you know The fight card and stuff. They want to turn that over to like an NBC or an ABC and let them be responsible for that and just take the money. Huge mistake. I just wanted to know from a casual fan that would you be upset if there was different announcers?
3: Probably,
2: yeah.
1: Because you like the excitement, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think they I, I I really do. I think Mike. You don't Goldberg... think they would
2: try and pull like um you know, past fighters back to do it?
1: Um you know, they, like, they, we, have like we watch some...
2: on you know, we're watching the World Series and we've got former, you know, MLB players there.
1: Right. But some people are so good at what they do, it, it's impossible to follow these guys. It really is. I, I think Mike Goldberg does a great job, and I think uh, Joe Rogan does an unbelievable job. Joe Rogan knows the sport.
2: Backwards and forwards, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, whoever follows them is going to fall dead on their you know, face anyways, but – no, I don't. I don't want to see that like that. I have I have boxing favorite announcers and stuff. I, I like the consistency of UFC. I know what I'm getting every time I purchase a pay per view or something like that. Um, I was just curious what Liz thought about like the exciting and the, the video games, the announcers. That's exciting to me too. Yeah. Like you know, they're they're part of the brand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I far, see. so far the new owners. I think like I'm. Four of the things the new owners are doing, I, I, I totally disagree with. This goes in there too. Um, we're just going to make a list online of things I, I think the new owners are tampering with that will ruin the product. Um, that's just me. but So I wanted to see what Liz said about that before we closed out our show as we we're coming up on here on the last few minutes of the show. Um, this is our last show in November. We start off in December now. Um, and in our December shows, we didn't do what's on tap, but there are some good fights coming up. I want to give a once again a plug to December 16th. You can come see ring Girl Liz actually in the ring, but you can also see uh, Mo Adams who Mohammed Adams is one of the most exciting fighters. I guarantee you this thing will sell out. I guarantee you at the end of the fight, his fans will be in the ring too. Um he's gonna be on there. Taylor Dewar is going to be on there. There's These tickets will sell out. Um, so contact Fighters, get down to Shed 3, and we're going to have some fun. Liz, do you got anybody you want to say hi to or bye before we call it a night? like no. No. Was it a good show? Yeah, I liked it. It was a great show. great show. Did you like it because there was no Marv and Jimmy?
3: It's a lot quieter without Marv, okay. but uh, it's not the same.
1: Okay, I got gotcha. you. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So let's 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 thank our guests really quickly. Uh, once again, our first guest was Michael Woods. Uh, he knows everything about boxing. I love him. Uh, nyfights.com. Also, he has Talk Box which is powered by Everlast. It's a podcast. His new one's going to be dropping tomorrow. Go check him out. And then uh, come out December 16th, Eastern Market Shed 3, see Taylor Doer. Do it again, get another win hopefully. And uh, like I said, people are looking for people, the the big typical fighters that, you know, everybody said that boxing has become a smaller sport, smaller fighters. There is no heavyweight division. There is no cruiserweight division. There is no – I tell you what, this, this is a big fighter. So come see him. All right, everybody. We will see everybody in a week. Take care.